0: W.A.B.E. in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Timothy Crimmins is Georgia State University Professor Emeritus of History. He was chair of the Commission on the Preservation of the Georgia Capitol and co-author of Democracy Restored, a history of the Georgia state capitol. Professor Crimmins joins us now via Zoom. Tim, welcome back to City
1: Lights. Thanks, Lois, it's really nice to be here.
0: When we spoke last month, we talked about how removing statues and renaming streets go beyond symbolic gestures. That's a way of confronting the past with respect for the present and future when you and Anne Pharisee wrote democracy restored you detailed far more than the physical restoration of the capital the double meaning of the title implies the more complex story of what took place in our state government's history How is that story conveyed within your virtual tour of the Georgia State Capitol?
1: Well, when we completed Democracy Restored, one of the things that I was interested in doing was to get the stories that we developed in the book accessible to people while they were in the Capitol. And the concept that we had was that history takes place at particular locations. People read about it in books, but it's something that played itself out in dramatic uh, ways in uh, public spaces and sometimes private spaces. And so what we wanted to do was to focus on stories that happened in the Capitol that tell this larger history of the uh, struggle to create democracy. And if you just take a look at the building uh, that opened in 1889, standing atop the building is a statue of freedom, and uh, she's referred to as Miss Freedom. And yet, uh, the history that took place in the building was one of uh, lack of complete freedom, and uh, over time, a struggle to create uh, a more complete democracy. And of course, that's what you said, that's the title of the book. And so Uh, Looking for a way to do it, the challenge that I had, uh, having overseen the restoration of the Capitol, was to bring it in a way that uh, didn't intrude on uh, the restoration that had taken place there. And so, you know, typically you put in little video machines uh, in the building. That's what you would have done back in the early 2000s. And so what I did is I went and looked around and saw that uh, people who do museum Uh, interpretation have what were then called wands and you could walk around the art exhibit and play a into your ear, a little recording that would tell you uh, bits and pieces about the painting that you were looking at and press one for basic information and two for more and three for more. And so I saw that the company that did that had produced a little portable video that uh, would play videos and I wanted to have videos. Historic happenings in the capital. So I put together a proposal to the National Endowment for Humanities, and they uh, funded a grant that would give us a a chance to develop a proposal to a company that would then produce the videos. And I was sitting in my office shortly after I'd gotten the grant, and uh, one of my former students, Chris Escobar, came in to see me, and I was very excited to tell him about this because he was in the film and video area. And he listened to what I had proposed to do and put on this little video machine. And he reached into his pocket and pulled out the newly arrived iPhone. And he said, why don't you do it on this? And um, I thought about it, and it suddenly dawned on me that uh, the grant that I had, instead of going ahead and laying out what I'd like to do in terms of a series of videos that would be given to a company and they would create them that we could create these videos ourselves. And so that's what we did. We know Chris
0: from the Atlanta Film Society and as owner of the Placid Theatre. It was fun to discover that he was a student of yours first when he was in your freshman learning community. And then as a graduate student, he teamed up with you on this project. We should add that this was 2012 when you mentioned the brand new iPhone and Chris had the idea for the app. Can you tell us about the process of adapting the book, collecting the data, and deciding what information to include in the app. I mean, it, it isn't an audio version of your print book.
1: No, what we uh, wanted to do was to produce a series of uh, videos that could be played at particular places in the capital where historic events happened. And, so, and then we wanted to tell uh, stories that were connected. So uh, we wanted to see the videos as leading one to another. And so we thought that what we would do is we would focus on the relatively recent events uh, going back into the 1950s. And since we were still working on a grant that was a uh, demonstration grant, we thought we could go back and see if we could get funding for the earlier stories. So we really focused on uh, the struggle over Uh, civil rights. And uh, what we determined we would do then is we would interview people who had played a critical role in that. And so uh, we had the wonderful opportunity of uh, interviewing the late uh, Lonnie King, who was involved in the Atlanta student movement and in organizing uh, marches on the Capitol. We interviewed Gwen Middlebrooks, who uh, was a student who sat in in the Capitol as a part of the Atlanta Student uh, Movement sit-ins in the in 1960, we interviewed uh, Senator Leroy Johnson, who was the first African American elected to the to the legislature in modern times, and then we interviewed former governor and former president uh, Jimmy Carter, and so. We were able to weave those interviews into a series of stories that tell about the struggle for human rights and civil rights as it plays on the Capitol grounds.
0: So, Tim, the app is serving several purposes now. It can be a tour guide when one is inside of the Capitol building touring the museum and Can it also be a virtual tour of the building for people who are elsewhere or even in other parts of the globe?
1: Uh, Yes. So uh, the way the app is set up, when you pull it up, you can uh, choose to uh, follow the stories by place. And there's a map of the Capitol building by uh, each of the floors and the grounds, and We have videos that are key to, uh, say, the front steps of the Capitol where Jimmy Carter uh, gave his inaugural address uh, when he said that the time uh, for racial discrimination is over, and that's a key part of our story. And you can go to the uh, third floor to the Senate, and that's where Senator Leroy Johnson uh, entered as the first African-American elect- elected to the legislature in modern times. And he tells his story of his arrival there and his efforts to desegregate the Capitol. And there are just some really wonderful uh, accounts that he gives of uh, what that process was. And so that's how they' set up. You can go around the Capitol to those locations and listen to those videos and hear that history. And then The history that you hear is a combination of short historic clips. For example, we have Jimmy Carter's inaugural address where he says that the time for racial discrimination is over. And then we switch to the interview that we did for the app where uh, President Carter follows through with what he said that followed that. So what we have then is in the videos, it's a montage of historic photograph, historic news reports, uh, historic recordings, and then uh, the current interviews. Hmm.
0: What was it like speaking with President Carter? Was he readily available to you for this?
1: That was really uh, a good deal of fun, uh, trying to get President Carter to uh, do the interview because he has many, many uh, demands on his uh, time. And so at that time, I was on the board of the Friends of the George Archives, and there was a person on the board who was able to get me in touch with his scheduler. And so what I did is I sent the section of the uh, Democracy Restored where Ann and I described the uh, inaugural address of the President Carter when he was inaugurated as governor, and he agreed to do the interview. Um, And so it was set up at the Carter Center. And then I talked to the scheduler and I said, the whole effort here is to do it in the Capitol where history took place. And she conveyed that to the uh, president and he said yes, that he would do it. So getting him to come to the Capitol and talk about uh, in the Senate chambers when he arrived there as a freshman senator, he arrived the same year that Leroy Johnson arrived and Um, he then said in his inaugural address something that is incredibly relevant today. And after he said that the time for racial discrimination is over, he said, but there are still hundreds of decisions yet to be made. And so we met at the portrait of Martin Luther King Jr. And President Carter repeated that hundreds of decisions still had to be made and talked about how it is that only white people of note were in the capitol and he appointed a commission to select three african-americans from uh, the state who would then have their portraits uh, in the capitol and we met at the martin luther king portrait where he told that story and we have footage there of coretta scott king talking after the uh, dedication of that uh, portrait but if you think of how relevant that is today we're still making decisions. The whole issue of the uh, John Brown Gordon statue is one of those hundreds of decisions that still have to be made, and this is over half a century since then.
0: Mm. President Carter's remarks about only white people being in portraits on the walls of the Capitol, he said that when he was elected governor in 1971. It must have been thrilling when you spoke with him eight years ago to take him to those very portraits that now hang which you described. And the statue you just mentioned, we touched upon last time. For those who may not have heard that interview, would you refresh us on that?
1: So in the we focus on the modern civil rights struggle, but uh, the evolution of the Capitol uh, began with exclusion. And so when the Capitol opened in 1889, one of the first sessions of the, the legislature that took place there introduced uh, segregation of streetcar ordinances uh, for the state. And so it was a point at which uh, state governments were following uh, Plessy Um, were introducing uh, ordinances that required the separation of the races. And then after the death of John Brown Gordon, who was the governor who welcomed the legislature to the Capitol in 1889, after his death, a statue was erected in his memory. And the statue was the first one that was placed on the grounds. And John Brown Gordon had been a Confederate uh, general. He had been uh, the titular head of the terrorist organization, the Ku Klux Klan, in the aftermath of the Civil War that uh, used violence to suppress uh, voting rights of African Americans. And in the post-Reconstruction era, he had gone on to a political career in the state as a senator and a governor and so a statue was erected and in that statue uh, on his horse that he used as a Confederate general and dressed in the Confederate uniform and then his face is depicted that of the way he looked when he was a governor and senator in older age and so when that was dedicated there was a push to create a series of statues in all four corners honoring uh, Confederate soldiers and uh, generals uh, from Georgia and so that was all part of this effort at consolidating the white supremacy that was the driving force behind the segregation ordinances. And so what we're struggling with today is what to do with a, a statue like that. One of the things that I attempted to do in the apps was to focus on the context uh, and what Ann and I developed in Democracy Restored is an account of how that happened. So that people would see that it wasn't just a, a statue there, because I think most people who see it you know, don't pay much attention to it, at least they didn't at the time. But people now are very much aware of uh, the Confederate statues, and uh, there's a, um, a huge debate on what to do with
0: them. I would think that there would be renewed interest in Georgia's history and in you and Anne Pharisee wrote about on the Capitol, particularly in light of the aftermath of protests in the wake of recent murders, and with the death of Congressman John Lewis. Tim, what kind of marketing or publicity is there for your tour? Does the Capitol Museum promote this? How would one learn about it if one didn't live here or know you?
1: Well, I think that the capital app, uh, we tried to market it uh, when we first produced it. And since it was done with the support of Georgia State University, the Georgia State uh, University magazine uh, had a wonderful feature on it. And I was able to get uh, one of the uh, Capitol reporters to do an account uh, back when apps were first coming out, which was you know that first generation. Uh, we publicized it then, and then the Capitol Museum uh, lets people who are coming to the Capitol to visit it uh, to know about the app as well. Uh, but the app is uh, one of those things that it's best to do on your own touring the Capitol, or if you're going to do it virtually, uh, that's the way that you would do it uh, because it's on your iPhone and you would do it with earphones. And one of the things that we struggled with in producing the videos is that we started out with 10 minute videos and then realized that people weren't going to stand around for 10 minutes, you know, in a capital. So we reduced them all to somewhere between two and a half and three and a half minutes. So they were short and to the point. And one of the ones we divided into two parts, if, What we tried to do was to have succinct stories that could be listened to in relatively short periods as the people moved around the Capitol, and uh, the videos that we did for the app are available for uh, teachers for use in the classroom, and we have developed lesson plans for each of those uh, videos that could be used in the classroom. So we've done all those different things to try to have the videos that we produced available in the app, and then also available for uh, classroom lessons as well, both here in Atlanta and around the country.
0: Am I understanding correctly that a virtual tour of the Capitol now would require a different platform or another platform?
1: No, uh, it would. you would just use the Georgia Capitol app and pull it up and then open up the tour by place and then just click on the various parts of the floor the Capitol grounds and a video would uh, come up that you would then play and originally it was just for the iphone and uh, george state university supported its adaption for android as well and so it's available on uh, both of those uh, platforms in google apps and it's also available in the app store with the iphone and then for teachers that uh, were I've done workshops for, I've provided them just with the URLs for the videos, and they can just uh, pull those up uh, and use them in their classroom uh, for the lessons that they're teaching.
0: Well, it seems a wonderful opportunity for people who have not visited our state capitol to learn about this now, even if it's been several years since this app was developed. Tim Crimmins, thank you very much.
1: You're welcome, Lois. It's really a pleasure talking with you again.
0: Georgia State University Professor Emeritus of History, Timothy Crimmins. You can find his app for touring the Georgia Capitol through the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. You've been listening to City Lights, WABE's daily exploration of arts and culture. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 11 to hear about an exciting documentary, Jimmy Carter Rock and Roll President. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer, and I'm Lois Reitzes. I'd love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can also follow us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Today's show and the City Lights archive. Are at WABE.org slash City Lights. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta.